Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Well, it's good to be back. And uh, it's good to be back where the weather was supposed to be colder, and it's not, and so I'm not pleased about that. It's a little toasty in here, and if you think it's hot where you're sitting, try being here under all these lights. Um, I suppose I could turn them off. No, let's not do that. Anyway, I'm so glad to be here. We're continuing our series on five things that God uses to grow your faith. And one of the interesting things that we've been talking about, and and in fact, if you've been following along with us, one of the things that maybe you've kind of picked up on is that the entire scripture is, if you look at it as one big story, it starts out in the first part with how we lost our faith in God. We lost our faith in God. And a lot of people, we talked about this the very first week, a lot of people think that the, the way that we became disconnected with God was out of an act of disobedience. But if you read it, if you understand it, if you look at what happened, it wasn't an act of disobedience that caused the break between us and God. It was that we didn't trust that what God had for us was better than what we thought we could get on our own. And so from the very beginning, and if, if you're a person who believes the Bible, if you believe that's the, the account in the first book of the Bible where it talks about the, two, the first two people and, and the eating of the fruit and that whole thing, um, one of the things that we see in that account is that the relationship broke down when they lost trust in God. And so if we look throughout the entire, what we call in the scripture, the Old Testament, the Old Testament is all about how we lost trust in God and how we tried, we meaning people, tried to earn our way back into God's good graces. That God said, let me show you how bad you are. And he put up this mirror and he said, take a look at it. And, and scripture tells us that mirrors what we sometimes call today the Ten Commandments and, and all the other rules and everything that came around around that. And he said, look at this, you can't do it. And the beautiful thing about the New Testament is it continued on that theme. It continued on this theme that started out in the Old Testament where we lost trust in God and we broke that connection. And in the New Testament, it talks about how we regained that connection, how we regained our trust in God and how we do that. What the New Testament teaches us, what the life of Jesus teaches us is we Restore that connection by faith, by trust. That the connection was lost in the beginning through an act of distrust, and that it is restored through an act of trust, of confidence, of faith. And faith is an important thing to God. In fact, everything that we read that Jesus taught, that he talked about, all of it centered around faith and trust. Because the one thing that God knows and the one thing that you and I know and that we've experienced in our lives is this. The best relationships, the most intimate relationships that we have in our lives are the relationships where we have deep, deep trust. Where we have faith that is shared between the two people. And as our faith grows in each other, our intimacy and the strength of our relationship grows. And it's the same way with God. 
That as our faith in God grows, our intimacy, the deepening of our relationship occurs as our faith is strengthened. And that's what God wants. And that's why it's so important for us to be able to let the faith that is in us grow. And so for the last five weeks, we've been talking about this. And we we started off on this series that we called The Five Things That God Uses to, um, to Grow Our Faith. There you go. We didn't want that fancy stuff behind it. So we started off in the first week and we talked about these five things and how these aren't anywhere in Scripture. There's nowhere in the Bible that you can open up and find these list of things. But what people have found out and what we believe here at this church is that these five things, these five categories, when you listen to people's faith stories, these are the five things that we hear that are in your stories and in my story that God used to grow our faith. So the first one, we started off and we talked about practical teaching. About how we sat in a group, or we sat in a church, or we met this guy, or we heard this lady speak, or we watched this podcast. And for the first time, they took what was happening in Scripture, they took the words that for some people who have been in church your entire life, you've heard it all, but it never made any sense once you walked out the doors. And so in the first week, what we talked about was that one of the things people will tell you when they tell their stories is that they sat down and they heard someone talk about something in the scriptures that made sense for their life. That wasn't just something for them to know, but it was something that they could go out and use, that it made an applicable difference in their lives. The second week, the next week, we talked about providential relationships and the fact that for many of us, we experience, uh, we look back and we see how it just seems like God dropped people into our lives at just the right moment, the just the right person, and that that relationship helped change, make a difference in our faith, that it grew our faith. Uh, The last time I was here, we talked about private disciplines. How in many people's faith stories that one of the things that they talk about is they'll talk and then say, well, and then the first time that I prayed. And not the prayer that we memorize and we repeat, but the first time that I really had a conversation with God. Or the first time that I started to sacrificially give. Or the first time that I I made the decision to just start setting aside time to spend with God. Today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about personal ministry, and then next week, we're going to close out our series, and we're going to talk about pivotal circumstances, how there are circumstances in our life that comes up that God uses to grow our faith. Sometimes he uses those circumstances just to grab our attention. But today, what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on personal ministry, and before we do that, um, can we just go ahead and open the doors and the windows? Because all you guys fanning yourselves are making me hot. And so uh, we're going to take a break for a minute. All of you who are watching at home, I don't know what to tell you. We're just going to get some air in here and get things circulating. All right. Thank you very much. Whew, doesn't that feel better? Okay. Personal ministry. Personal ministry. What do I mean when I talk about personal ministry? Well, when I talk about personal ministry, what I mean is this, is that when you talk to people and you talk to them about their faith stories, maybe for some of you here, that when I ask you or if someone were to ask you about your faith story, 
that one of the things that you would say is, is that, you know, I, I, I was just, I was going to church and then all of a sudden there was a time in my life where this opportunity arose for me to participate in this mission trip. And I had never been to that place and I didn't know what I was going to do there, but I decided to go. Or, or I, was, I, was, I was attending a church, and all of a sudden, I heard that there was a need. That there was a need in children's ministry, or that there was a need in, in administration, or there was a need somewhere. And there was a tug on my heart that said, hey, there's a need. But for most people, the difficulty of that is, is that when we think about being involved, stepping out, out of our comfort zone into doing something that God might be, that, that feeling that we have in there that God might be prompting us to do something. The thing that we feel, that resistance that we feel, is our faith saying, no, I'm not ready for this. No, I, I'm not equipped for this. Or, yeah, yeah, I, th- that sounds interesting. I know that it's a really crucial need right now, but I have no training or education in that. And so what happens many times is that we f- see the need or we see an opportunity and we just kind of push back on it. But for many people, when they tell their faith story, what they tell you is this, is that, yeah, uh, there was an opportunity to do this and I had no idea what I was doing, but I went and did it anyway. Or there was a need in this particular ministry. There was a need in this area. And, and I didn't think that I could contribute anything at all to that. But I went and did it anyway. And what happened was, was that when I went and did it and, and went there and participated, went there and signed up, when I filled out the card, when I attended that meeting, what they will tell you is this. They didn't know what they were going to do. But then God showed up. God showed up. I wasn't sure how to make it work, but I went and God showed up. In everybody's story, when you dig down deep far enough, what you're going to find is that somewhere, someone said, I knew I couldn't do it, but God showed up. And so today what I want to do for the time that we have together is I want us to look at a, a kind of a familiar story. And this, this story is, is one that probably, if, I mean, if you have grown up in the church, if you've grown up reading the Bible, this is a story that you have heard uh, many, many times. It's one of the most popular stories in Scripture. But I want you to, I want us together to kind of dive deep into it and take a look at it. Because I'll tell you something. It is a different story than the story that I grew up with. It's a different story than the picture that I had in my mind. And it's so important for us, not just because it is a story that tells us about something that happened to Jesus, but it's so important for us because it has the opportunity. If we can just see what is happening in this story, it has the opportunity to grow our faith. And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew. And if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along with me. We're going to be in Matthew. We're going to start in chapter 13. If you don't, we're going to put them up on the screen. And um, okay, so I'm going to read them from the screen because, whoa, those letters are small um, when you don't have your glasses on. All right, so here's the story. And, uh, and it starts in Matthew 14, uh, 13. And it says this, as soon as Jesus heard the news. Now, let me tell you what's happening so you understand what, what, what's going on here. Uh, Jesus had a cousin, and his cousin was, uh, his name was John, and we refer to him as John the Baptist. 
And John, uh, who was Jesus's cousin, was also a preacher. And John was an interesting guy because he would preach about whatever God told him to preach about, even if people got upset. So he was preaching, and he preached one too many times about the king who had married his sister-in-law, and, uh, it, which at that time was wrong, and he kept using it in a sermon, as a sermon illustration, and so the king put him in prison. And then there was a party, and people had too much to drink, and at the end of the party, um, John, his cousin, was beheaded. Just lopped his head right off, which... You know, I've been to a lot of parties, but that's never happened. Uh, So this was a new one, uh, but that's what happened. And John's disciples, the people who were hanging out with John, they came and they went and they found Jesus and they told Jesus the news about his cousin. And it wasn't just a cousin like, you know, oh, yeah, I've got a cousin that lives in Pittsburgh and I never see them, but I know they're there. John and Jesus grew up together. This was his childhood friend. And so when Jesus found out that his, his cousin, one of his favorite people, was beheaded, he, he wanted to mourn. He does what you and I would normally want to do. So he says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, the news about John the Baptist, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. So just before this, he's talking with a bunch of people. He's preaching to a bunch of people. He gets this news. He says, listen, I need to be alone. So he gets in a boat and he just goes and starts going to the other side of the lake. And next verse, or the rest of the verse continues this. And it says, But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Now, this to me is hilarious. So here's Jesus. He gets on a boat. He's rowing across the lake. All the crowd sees him rowing across the lake. And so here they are, by the thousands, running along the edge of the lake. Right? Because there's Jesus. He's going over there. They all want to go where Jesus is. So they're rushing around the side of the lake to get where Jesus is. And we have technical difficulties. Where are we? They rushed over to the other side of the lake. Uh, Let me see. Where are we? Okay. The crowds heard where he was headed and follow on, followed on foot from many towns. And so they came around. So finally, Jesus lands on the lake, right? And it says this. That evening, the disciples came to him. Or no. Jesus saw the huge crowd. So he's stepping out of the boat. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now think about this is what happens. Here's Jesus. He finally makes it to the other side. And as he's rowing to the edge of the lake, there's thousands of people there waiting for him. And he wanted to be alone. But Jesus is Jesus. So he isn't going to say, uh, no, and start rowing the other direction, which is what I would do. Jesus lands the boat. He goes out and it says that he has compassion with all these people. Now think about it. All these people are not there because they love Jesus. All these people are there because they need something. They need healing. They they need forgiveness. They're there for them. And Jesus has compassion for them. So he goes out and instead of just pushing through the crowd to try to find a place to be alone, he spends the entire day healing people. Healing them left and right. I don't know if it's one of those, you know, television healed, 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 but he's healing a lot of people. I've never seen that, but that's what happened. He's healing a lot of people, all right? And so... At the end of this, 
it says in verse 15, can we get to verse 15? In verse 15, it says, that evening, so he had been, he's healing all day long. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Right? So it's already getting late in the day. He's been healing the entire day. So they go on and they say this. They say, this is the disciples. And they're saying to Jesus, they said, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and they and buy food for themselves. Now, this is an interesting thing. Because I read this, and I, there's nowhere where it said this, but I read this and I'm thinking to myself, they don't care about the people, right? These are Jesus' disciples. They, we don't know if they were on the boat with him, but he, they probably weren't because Jesus said he went to be alone. So G, the disciples are running along the edge of the shore with the thousands of people to get to the other side. And when they get there, they're helping Jesus because Jesus is doing all the healing. It's now the end of the day, and they must be starved. Hey, hey, Jesus, listen. All these people that are here for you, tell them to go away. Tell them they need to go eat. It's already 5 o'clock. Go so that we can get some food too. I heard there's a Chinese barbecue place down the street, right? They're saying, hey, we got to get, get rid of them. And then listen to what Jesus says. He says, but Jesus said, that isn't necessary. We don't need to send them away. And then what does Jesus say? He says, you feed them. You feed them. I got like, I got like, what, some gum and a mint from the restaurant last night? How are we going to feed them? But that's what he says. Now, listen, this here is the tension that we all feel when we get that tug where, where we feel like, hey, I see that there's a need or I see that there's this opportunity. And I, I, I feel like maybe that there's something that I can contribute to that. That that's the tension here where, where Jesus is saying, listen, you do it. You, you, what you want is this, and what you and I want is this. That when there's a need or something that has to, be ha- to happen, what we want is we want to just pray. Oh God, there's a need. Please bring somebody. Amen. Done. Let's go eat. Right? Isn't that what we normally do? Isn't that how we, we want to solve the problems? But here, Jesus is saying, listen, 5,000 people, you feed them. And they're like, how do you, how, 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 how are we going to do that? And that feeling that they feel felt and that feeling that you and I have felt when we've seen a need and we've wondered if that was what we were supposed to do, if that was what was God calling us to do, that feeling is your faith being stretched. That feeling is your faith muscle flexing itself. And if you've ever exercised then one of the things that you know is, is that in the time when you're flexing the muscle, that is when it expends the most energy and you feel the strain and the stress the most. And so here's Jesus. And he says, listen, you see a need. Here's all these people. We're in a remote area. They haven't eaten all day. You said that they're hungry. You feed them. And the reason that you and I can't cross over there and just go, okay, let me do it, 
is because you and I have difficulty, as anyone else would, in trusting that God is going to do what needs to be done. We're worried that we're going to have to do it on our own and that when we can't do it on our own, well, people will laugh, people will get hurt, we'll feel embarrassed, we'll feel like a failure. We think only in terms of what it is that we can do. And we don't give God an opportunity. And so here are the disciples. They've been with God, they've been with Jesus for years now. They've been following him around. They've seen him do miracles. And Jesus says, listen, you go feed them. And listen to what they say. They say, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Right? Five loaves of bread, two fish, 5,000 people. They did the same thing that you and I do. We make excuses. I can't do it, God. I don't have enough. I can't do it, God. I don't have enough education. I can't do it, God. I don't have enough time. I can't do it, God. I don't have enough ability. I can't do it, God, because I only have five loaves of bread and two fishes. In fact, Mark talks about it, the same story, and he doesn't even include the fishes. So I'm guessing they're like the little Filipino fishes. You know what I'm talking about? My friends in Florida, we used to call it bait fish because, you know, they throw that away and we eat them. So here's this guy and the fish must not be very big because the other guys didn't even see him. All they saw was bread. And they're saying, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And then Jesus said something that if this is the only thing that you walk away with today, that it's going to be worth the price of admission. He says something that has the potential, if you can just grab onto it, to completely transform your faith. He says, bring them here, he said. Now, if I'm there and I'm the disciples and he says, you know, hey, we've only got five loaves. And he says, well, bring them here. I'm thinking, oh, man, I knew he was going to say that. I knew it. I knew he was going to do that. But Jesus is doing, Jesus is saying to them the same thing that Jesus is saying to you and me. He's saying, whatever you have, bring it here. Don't worry about what you don't have. Whatever you've got on your hands, bring it to me. Bring me what you have. Because our natural inclination, whenever we get into a situation where we hear that there's a need... Or we see that there is an opportunity. What we say is we start with all of the things that we don't have. And Jesus says, hold on a second. Bring me what you have. Well, Jesus, I don't know anything about the Bible. I know a couple of weeks ago, I promised the pastor that I was going to, for the next 30 days, spend a little bit of time in the morning. Who among you? I can see you. Right? A couple of weeks ago, we said the first few minutes... So I I don't know enough about the Bible to be able to do what you're asking of me. And Jesus says, well, bring me what you know. He says, I don't have enough education. Well, bring me the education you have. He says, I don't have any experience with kids. Well, bring me the experience you have. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. When, when I think about being involved in a church, it just makes me scared. It brings fear. And Jesus says, listen, just bring me that fear. Bring me whatever you've got. 
See, Jesus didn't say, hey, you guys, go out and get more food. Right? He didn't say five loaves and two fishes. This is only enough for us. Go get some more food. But that's our instinct. That's our reaction. When there's a need somewhere, what we say is, hold on a second, let me go get more food. Let me go get more experience. Let me go get more education before I go back and do that. And Jesus says, bring me what you have. The next verse, it goes on and it says that he t- then he, and this is Jesus, he told the people to sit down on the grass. Now, when you read this, um, this might seem to you like a throwaway verse. But in the, um, the Greek, the word that they use for sit is the word recline. So not sit like, in the, you know, with your legs crossed and sitting up straight like you're watching a concert on the lawn. He says he told the people to recline down on the grass. Now that's very significant because in this time... When people would eat, the position that they ate in was reclining. So Jesus was telling the people, hey, we're about to eat. So I need you guys to all find your places, you know, get comfortable. So he tells them, basically he's telling them this. 5,000 people, actually it's 5,000 men, because in this particular time, uh, they didn't count women and children. Which today, well, that's a different story, a different sermon. Uh, But he said, sit down on the grass, right? And then listen to what happens. Jesus took what they had. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked upward, up towards heaven, and he blessed them. He still got five loaves, two fishes. He looks up, he blesses them. And this is an interesting thing because, go go back, hold on. When it says blesses them, my first, actually my first couple of hundred readings of this verse, I thought Jesus was blessing the loaves and the fish. But as we look throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, they never bless the food. Mom. Mom. They never bless the food. They bless the people. So he looks up towards heaven and he blesses the people. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples. He gave the bread to the disciples. Now, here you are. You're one of the 12 disciples. Jesus takes the five loaves, he breaks them up, and he hand distributes five loaves and two fishes to everybody. Basically, each one of them has a fish sandwich. No cheese, no tartar sauce, no coleslaw, but they've got a fish sandwich. Each one of them has a fish sandwich. That is what they brought to Jesus, and Jesus gave it back to them. And then they did... What was the only thing that they knew how to do? You see, they didn't have to think to themselves, how am I going to feed the 5,000 people that are here looking for food? Because if we look at the 5,000 people and think, how am I going to feed them? We're going to freak out. 
right? We're looking at my sandwich and I'm thinking, man, that first kid, you know, the first kid who's always there in line first, he's going to eat my whole sandwich. Uh, No one else is going to have a chance. So they're looking at this and listen, Jesus doesn't tell them to do something that they can't do. He tells them to do what they can do. They didn't know how to feed 5,000 people, but what they did know how to do was they knew how to serve food to people. And so they did what Jesus told them to do that they knew how to do. They couldn't do the 5,000, but they did know how to serve food. And so the rest of the verse continues. He gave the disciples who distributed it to the people. They did what they could do. They did what they knew how to do. They did what was what it was in their ability to do. And God takes that. He takes what you can do. And if you do it, if you trust him, if you trust that your heavenly father not just knows you, but loves you. And that if you're doing what it is that he is calling you to do, that he's going to take what it is that you can do. And he's going to turn it into what it needs to be done. And if you never step out in faith, if you never take the time, make the decision to go out and to do something that you feel that tug towards, that you feel your faith muscle being stretched towards, if you never take that chance, you'll never see what God could possibly do with what it is that you can do. They did all they knew how to do. They distributed it. And when they did, they, the 5,000, so Bible scholars, they've been, you know, going over this over and over again, trying to figure out if they said 5,000 and that was men, how many people were there? So they estimate anywhere between 10 and 15,000 people, right? 10 and 15,000 people. It's like... uh, What's 10 and 15,000 people? Like half of a basketball stadium full of people that they distributed it to. And they, those guys, ate as much as they wanted. Even the little kid in the front row, he ate as much as he wanted. And when everybody was full and they went from reclining to just lying on the ground going, okay, I don't want any more food. The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Goes on and he says about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. And the interesting thing was, was that many of these people uh, who, who were there to witness 5,000 people being fed with five loaves and two fishes. They were alive for a long time. They were alive even at the time that Jesus was crucified. And, and look at their reaction because here's me, right? Um, if I if I have somebody and, and I'm there and, and Jesus goes, well, here's a, 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 a piece of bread and the tail end of a fish, which is the part I hate the most. <laughs> and now go and feed these people. And I go out and I am just like dishing it out, right? It's just going. And I am... So there's 12, five. So I'm feeding like, what, 700 people with my share? I'm opening a deli. 
All I need is a roll and a piece of fish, and I'm just going to make fish sandwiches all day long. That's not what they said, right? They didn't look at this and go, wow, we can make money on this deal. All that they saw was, and the only thing, the most important thing that came to them was that they did what they knew how to do, and their heavenly father did the rest. And see, they didn't know how it was going to happen. Jesus didn't say to them ahead of time, now listen, this is how it's going to go. When we get there, you're not going to have enough food. Trust me, you're going to give it to me. I'm going to shake it up, do a little magic, hocus pocus, and boom, everybody's going to be fed, relax. Jesus didn't say that. Right? What did Jesus say? Well, he didn't say anything. He just said, do what it is that you can do. He had a plan. Because Jesus knew this. See, we're coming to the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus knows that his time on earth in his human form was going to end soon. And he realized that these 12 jokers that had been following him around for the last couple of years, that everything that he had started, everything that he had done, everything that he had built, he is going to have to hand it off to these 12 guys. These 12 guys are going to have to take over. And if their faith wasn't strong, if their faith wasn't where it needed to be, then everything that he had done might just fall flat. And so he had a plan. He knew the entire time exactly what was going to happen. He knew that there was going to be an impossible situation. And he knew that he had to do something to grow the faith of his disciples. Now listen, I want you to get this because we're going we're, we're to go through the rest of this story. But the most important thing that happened that day wasn't that the people were fed. The entire point of this story was not that there was a need and that need was met. The most important part of this story is that God took what they could do and he turned it into what needed to be done. It wasn't about satisfying the need, it was about growing their faith. In the next verse, it says this, immediately after this. So this is all part of the same story. They had just finished feeding the 5,000. There were 12 baskets. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted because the disciples were like, dude, we've got all this food. We don't have to go anywhere. Let's just hang out here for a while. But Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side, and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So he tells his 12 guys, no, 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 no. I'll take care of the 5,000. You guys get in the boat, and he's just pushing it, kicking them off, you know, go. And so they start going out to the other side of the lake. He says, I will see you there. I'm going to take care of these guys first. And they go out, and they start to row across the lake. Next verse, it says this. After sending them home, the 5,000 people, 10,000, 15,000, however many it was, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. So Jesus is up on the hill. The 12 disciples are in the boat, and they're crossing over to the other side. Uh, Let's go to the next verse. Meanwhile, I like that because... It's like one of those things that you see in a, in a TV show, right? So there's Jesus up on the hill, and he's praying, he's at peace. And then at the bottom of the screen, it says, meanwhile, dot, dot, dot. And then it goes and cuts right to the disciples. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. And they were far away from land. 
Now, most of these guys are very familiar with boats. A few of them are fishermen. They, they know what it's like to row across the lake. They know what it's like to deal with a storm. So they're there, but they're in trouble. They're far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, this to me is hilarious. Um, when my father was alive, we'd always see these commercials for this pool where the pool water would, would uh, just, there's like a fan or something that pushed the water. And so you just swim because the pool is only like, you know, big enough for one person. I always told him we'd put him in that and he could just swim. And the, basically the water just pushes back. So you're swimming in the same exact spot. It's like a treadmill for water. It's great. This is what they're on. There's 12 of them, six on each side, and they've got their paddles, and they're rowing, and they're rowing because they're trying to get to the other side, and they're not moving anywhere. They're in the exact same spot. They're just rowing, and the storm's going, and the wind is moving, and they're just trying to get, and they don't know what's going to happen, and they think that they're in trouble. And I think Jesus did this on purpose. Because he said, he's like, He's like, oh, all right, now go, 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 go. Come on, time's running out. Go, get across there. He needed them to be right in the center of the lake when that storm hit and they're rowing and they're not moving. And it says that at about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came walking towards them on the water. Now, our, <laughs> they're rowing. They're going nuts, right? They're put, the water's going everywhere. They're just trying to row. And they look over to the side. And here's Jesus. He's just walking along the water. Hey, how you doing? And they're just going nuts because they're just trying to keep up. And Jesus walks along there on the water at three o'clock in the morning. Which means those guys have been doing this all night long. And there's Jesus. Now listen to what happens when they see Jesus. They go, when the disciples saw him walking on the water... They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. All of you Friends fans, it's Joey. All right, see, some of you got that. It's a ghost. They didn't know what was going on. Now listen, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. They weren't really afraid of Jesus. They were more afraid of the storm that they were in. He said, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. And Peter, Peter, who, who just finished handing out all of that, that, that food, the fish and the bread, Peter, who, who had been with Jesus, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, he starts to think, and he's thinking back, and he's going, wait a second, hold on. 5,000 people, he said, you guys do it. And something clicks in his brain. He says, wait a second. Here are two situations that seem impossible. But if Jesus tells me to do it, and I do what I can do, a miracle happens. And so Peter puts his theory to the test. And Peter says this. He says, Peter called out to me and says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, listen, this is important because this phrasing is everything. See, for too many of us, sometimes this is what we do. We get this brilliant idea in our head and we jump out and we go, you know what? Barbecued mouse feet. Everybody's going to love it. Let's do it. And you jump out and you think God's going to bless it. 
And God's not going to bless that. That's craziness, right? Peter knew that the way to get God's blessing is to do something that he wants you to do. So he's saying, listen, he doesn't say, Lord, can I go out there? Right? He doesn't say, Lord, if I jump out there, are you going to let me walk on the water? He says, no, listen, you've got to tell me to do it. See, it's not enough that it's in my plan. It's not enough that it's in my brain. You've got to be the one to tell me to do it. Because if you tell me to do it, then I know that I can do what I know how to do. And you are going to do the rest. He says, Lord, if you tell me to come to you walking on the water, tell me. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, yes, come. This was my plan for you. And for many of us, this is exactly what the Christian experience is. That it is somewhere along the line that we took what it is that we had and God took it and turned it into what it is that we needed. That we had just a little bit of faith. And we didn't know how we were going to get through that struggle. But God took that little bit and he turned it into what we needed. And in every time that we look at what Jesus uh, has done uh, on each one of the instances where we see him performing miracles, everything is about bring me what you've got. And most of the time it was nothing. That they didn't have anything to bring. But as long as Jesus is inviting you there, he says, yes, come. You do what you know how to do, and God takes care of the rest. And so Peter, he doesn't know how to walk on water. He's never walked on water before. But you know what Peter does know how to do? He knows how to jump out of the boat, and he knows how to walk. And so that's what happens. It says, so Peter went over the side of the boat, and he walked towards Jesus. Because Peter knew how to do that. That's all he brought with him, was what he knew how to do. And that's what Jesus does to every single one of us. Because let me tell you something. Every one of you and me, if we were on that boat and we saw Jesus walking on the water, we still wouldn't jump out of that boat. We would be like, yeah, Jesus, I hear you, but you're Jesus, you know, and I'm me. And so I, you walk water. Hey, cool, dude. Awesome. But I am not going to be able to do that. Right. But Peter knew. See, he connected back there where Jesus said, do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, so I'm just going to do what I can do. He does the same thing. And he went over the side of the boat, because that's what he knows how to do. And then he started walking, because that's what he knew how to do. And he was able to walk on the water towards Jesus. See, for some of you who are here today, you're feeling that tug, or you felt that tug. Because, let's be honest, I have come up here several times and said, hey, you know, we need some help. We need help doing this. We, need, we have a, a shortage of people over here doing that. And, and I will say this uh, because, you know, next month we're going to be celebrating six years. Six years here. And people, some of you still come up to me and say, hey, you know, how, how are things going at your church? And I just want to, you know, sometimes push you into the water. Because if you've been coming here for a couple of weeks, three, four weeks, if you call this place your home, this is your church. As much as it is mine. It's our church. And every single one of us, God is pulling on us and saying, listen, there is something for you to do here. And maybe it's not here, but it's through here. 
Because for some of you, maybe what God is calling you to do is to start a ministry. For some of you, maybe what God is calling you to do is, is, to, is to go somewhere. We'd hate to lose you, but, you know, maybe God is calling you to a different place, to a different country, to a different part of the world. I don't know where God is going to call you. But I, what I know is this, is that God is always pulling and tugging and inviting us to do what he knows we can do and let us trust him to do the rest. Now, this is what happens. The next, it says, but when he, this is Peter, saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. In other words, when he saw, when he saw what it was that should be preventing him from doing what he was supposed to do, when he saw something that was supposed to come at him and stop him from doing what God was calling him to do, when he took his eye off the ball, he began to sink. And he shouted, save me, Lord. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And I love this part because everybody translates this next verse here as, O ye of little faith, you have so little faith. But the original translation of that phrase is the phrase, little faither. He was calling him a name. He was saying, Oh, you're not a big faither. You're just a little faither. Now, I don't think Jesus was mad when he said this. I don't think Jesus was upset at Peter. I mean, the other 11 guys, they stayed in the boat. So why would he get mad at Peter? See, when I see Jesus talking to Peter, what I see is I see Jesus going, Oh, man, you almost had it. I mean, you were right there. You were walking. You know how we do with our kids when they, when they first stand up and they're kind of teetering around and you want them to take the step, but they fall down? That's Jesus. And he's saying, come on, oh, you, were, you just had a little bit of faith. It was enough. You had it. You, 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 you figured it out. It clicked in your mind. Don't look at your ability. Look at me. He says, you didn't have to doubt me. You had it. You were there. And it goes on and it, the story ends like this. When they climbed back into the boat, because, you know, the, they got back. Jesus was holding on to him. And, and, and this visual I love, right? Jesus is walking on the water. He's holding Peter. Peter's still dangling underneath the water because he's just kind of trying to swim. And Jesus is holding him and tosses him back in the boat. They get back into the boat and the wind stopped because the lesson was over. That's why I think he planned it the whole time. As soon as he figured it out, okay, no need for this. And then everything was gone. It was calm again. It closes out with this, and it says, Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. You really are the Son of God. Like the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't enough. Like they saw that, and they were going, hmm, maybe he is. But this, this takes the cake. They finally figured it out. They saw you really are the son of God. Now, listen, if you are here today, um, here in South San Francisco with us, or if you're watching us online, one of the things that I I really want to, to kind of give you a picture of is this, is that all of us are benefiting because someone stepped out of the boat. When we started this church a few years back, we didn't have anything that we needed. 
We didn't have enough money. We didn't have enough people. We didn't have a place to meet. We didn't know anything. But we took what we had. We gave it to God. And he did the rest. And we, many of you who are here today, many of you who are watching us online, you're benefiting from that because someone stepped out of the boat and did what they knew how to do. And so you're here today. And so what I want to ask you is this, and what I want to challenge you with is this. And, and yeah, maybe what I, I, I kind of want to, you know, dig a little bit into your back with is this. Is that there are people who are waiting for you to step out of the boat so that they can be here or they can be somewhere. Because it doesn't have to be here, but they can be somewhere. If we'll take what it is that we can do and trust God to do the rest. See, I think sometimes for, for some of you, 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 you may be here and you, and you see me up here all the time. You, know, you, you see Jeff come up here and, and do the collections, the guys in the back, the people who are greeting. You know, this, and you walk in here and you think, man, those guys, that place, they, they are like super Christians. Like they should have a big C on their chest, which would be appropriate for me because Caesar, but um, don't get me that for Christmas. But so what I'm saying is, is that we look at people and, and we think, man, they have it all together. They must have a, a great education and, and training. And they, they were really prepared to do this. And I'm telling you, none of us have a clue what we're doing. The only reason we're here is because we took what we knew how to do. And God did what needed to be done. That we all have the same doubts that you do. That we all have the same worries that we're not enough that we can't handle it, that it's too much for us, that we're going to get embarrassed. But we take what we have, we give it to God, and we trust him. So my challenge for you is this, is will you consider trusting God? Will you consider giving in to that tug, that pull that he's making to do more than what you're doing, even though it seems like that it's something that you can't do, you're not trained to do, you have no skill in doing, but he's calling you towards that. And I'm saying this because, let me tell you, there's some of you in here who've already done that. Who've already stepped out and said, I have no idea what to do, but there's a need, so I'm there. He's calling all of us to that. With this promise, this promise, that God takes what you know how to do, And turns it into what needs to be done every single time. That you bring to him what you've got. And he'll turn it into what is needed in every situation. And what's at stake here is not just the ministry that needs to move. It's not just the mission field that needs to be reached. But the most important thing that is at stake is your faith in Jesus growing. See, he doesn't call us into personal ministry because there's something that needs to be done that can only be done by us. He calls us into personal ministry because he knows that is how he grows our faith. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.